0: Israel rests from victory before encountering some strange travelers from outside of Canaan. Travelers with a tall tale intent on deception on The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a whole new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today, to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal from the speech of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 11. The nation is only two cities into the war for the land of Canaan. Only two battles, and Israel had already had a taste of the blessing and the curse that Moses spoke of. First they encountered blessing at Jericho, a seemingly impossible victory without the loss of a single soldier, a total victory that harbored a secret disobedience a disobedience that would mean the experience of cursing as they tried to take on the city of Ai. Instead of easy victory, they suffered an embarrassing defeat with the loss of 36 men. Achan, one of the Israelites, had violated God's command at Jericho, and his sin spread consequences to the nation. It was only after Achan had been dealt with that Israel was able to conquer the city of Ai. These experiences made Israel live the blessing and the curse. They saw that when God fights for a nation, that nothing can keep it from victory. But when God isn't with them in battle, they flee before their foes. The presence of God allows for the blessing of victory to be realized, and the presence of God in battle is directly connected to the obedience of the nation. Obedience would come with blessing in the land. Disobedience would come with cursing away from the land. This principle was so important that Moses mentioned it many times in his final speech to the nation. But he didn't just mention it. He commanded something about the blessings and the curses. He commanded that when the people finally do enter the land, that they were to go to two specific mountains in the land in order to perform a sort of ceremony, reminding them of the blessings and the curses that Moses had set before all the people. Six tribes were to stand on Mount Gerizim and six tribes were to stand on a mountain close by called Mount Ebal. Then the tribes were to shout the blessings and the curses to one another. There would be a shout, followed by a confirmation of the other tribes of, Amen, or so be it. In this way, all the tribes would demonstrate their knowledge and accountability to the commandments of God. They couldn't say that they were unaware of the consequences of disobedience nor could they claim ignorance of the wonderful blessings that would accompany obedience to the law of God. It was after the Israelites' eventual defeat at Ai that we finally head to the two mountains where this ceremony would be performed. We read this in Joshua chapter 8, starting in verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Just as the law and the blessings and the curses were heard outside the land of Canaan, now, after the first battles, they were reaffirmed. The law was copied and read aloud, and everyone heard it. Everyone. Not just the native-born Israelites, but even those who had joined Israel. People like Rahab's family, who were hearing the law for perhaps the first time. And they, along with Israel, said, Amen, as all was read and affirmed. Obedience would come with blessing in the land. Disobedience would come with cursing away from the land. All Israel heard the law that day, but it turns out there were probably some spies in their midst as well. Someone else had learned of the law of Israel, and they were set to take advantage of this new knowledge. These people were the Gibeonites. Let's read Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they on their part acted with cunning, and went and made ready provisions, and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys, and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet, and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly, And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, And to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? But the Hivites said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? The Gibeonites, a subset of a larger people group called the Hivites, are a fearful people, and rightly so. They had heard of what happened at Jericho and I. They had heard what had happened to the Midianites and the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan River. They had even heard of what Yahweh had done for the nation as he delivered them from Egypt. But this fear doesn't drive the Gibeonites to leave the land in order to spare their own lives. Instead, it drives them to deception. Apparently, they had heard of the laws of Israel and likely they'd listen to Joshua's reading by Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And among those laws was a command that differentiated the people of the land of Canaan from people from other lands who were merely in the land of Canaan. Through Moses, God had commanded that the people of the land of Canaan should be completely wiped out. Everything that breathed in a city should be killed. And remember, this was done for this reason— that they may not teach you to do according to all of their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, so that you sin against Yahweh your God. And yet, for distant cities, or for those who are merely in the land of Canaan, but not of the land of Canaan, the policy was one of forced labor. That is, that the people should be forced to serve the people of Israel, rather than be completely wiped out. The Gibeonites apparently have knowledge of this legal differentiation, And so they surmise that if they can convince Israel that they're merely foreigners dwelling within Canaan, that they might be spared the total population devastation campaign that was waged on the other cities in Canaan. They didn't want the city of Gibeon to be the new Jericho or the next Ai. So upon Joshua's question, where do you come from? They answer like this. They said to him, from a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of Yahweh your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and Og the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. So these men from Gibeon inside the land tell a tall tale of the fame of Yahweh that had spread to their distant land, and that they had come from the land to make a peace covenant with Israel. And in an attempt to prove their story, the Gibeonites show their old crumbled bread, their worn-out clothes, and broken wineskins. False evidence of a long journey that they had supposedly been on to find Israel from this distant land. And sadly, Israel falls for the ruse, without so much as a prayer to God. We read this in verse 14. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. The Bible itself gives us a sense of the foolishness of Joshua and the Israelites in this moment. They're so convinced by this false story That they don't even ask God what to do. They had sense enough to inquire deeply into these people who wanted to make a covenant with them, but they failed in not seeking counsel from the Lord about them. The failure of Israel is foolish indeed. They agree to a peace covenant with those they are supposed to destroy, and they make a forbidden covenant with the people of the land of Canaan. But no sooner had they made the covenant than the truth comes to bear. At the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that the Gibeonites were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chapirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them, because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. The truth comes out that the Gibeonites are actually people of the land. And this truth causes an immediate crisis among Israel. It was apparent to all that Joshua and the leaders made a forbidden covenant. You can imagine the trepidation of the camp upon finding that out. Would God punish them for this unknowing breach of the law and making this covenant? Could they annul the covenant even though they'd sworn to uphold it by the name of Yahweh? Should they just kill all the Gibeonites as they should have done in the first place? Well, the leaders decide to uphold the covenant, because they had sworn by Yahweh himself to uphold it. Joshua summoned the Gibeonites, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you, when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants that for certainty the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them, and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day, in the place that he should choose. The Gibeonites cast themselves at the mercy of Joshua. They had seen the desire of the Israelites to just kill them and be done with it, and they appeal to Joshua to do what seems right to him. And so Joshua decides to force them to labor, as if they were from a distant country and not from within Canaan. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place his oath by Yahweh, and a command by Yahweh, and Joshua tries to make the best of the situation. The Gibeonites would be cursed as laborers for Israel forever. Yahweh merely stands in the background of this story. Never is a prayer recorded from Joshua about what to do. Never do we see an intervention from Yahweh. Never do we see a suggestion from among Israel that Yahweh should decide what is to be done. Instead, we see a deafening silence toward God. Joshua just does what seems best to him. And in this, we get a preview of an era that's to come for Israel. An era when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But in the midst of this event at Gibeon, other things are happening in southern Canaan. An alliance is forming against Israel. People are gathering together for Israel's toughest military test yet. No more are there just cities fighting for themselves. Instead, they're forming an army of multitudes. Join us next time as we see the great battle between Israel and the Southern Alliance on a day that the world will never forget. The longest day in recorded history. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.